awesome podcast. I am Mayura Rao and I explore what health and well-being means in our lives today. Stress and mental health have made headlines for the right and the wrong reasons. In the Indian context, talking about our mental health, a previously and still taboo concept, has been rising steadily. And this is good news for all of us. Our mind, like any other organ, responds to the stress we put on it. Talking about how our minds feel and seeking ways to address our mental wellness is slowly becoming normal and mainstream. On the other hand, as a nation, we're experiencing a rise in mental health issues that can affect all of us from stress-induced issues, general anxiety disorders, to serious issues such as depression. 70% of rising mental health issues show India suffering from stress and anxiety across genders and age groups. At Awesome, our conversations with our consumers are to get them to not normalize stress and to help them understand what stress does to them. The mind is part of the body, so it needs the same tender loving care we would give our stomachs when they're upset. Dissecting what happens to us when we're stressed and anxious is Priyanka Varma from The Thought Company. The Thought Company is working towards mental health awareness and care for all. Priyanka and her team empower individuals for providing not only therapy, but creating a growing resource of reliable information on mental health and supporting networks and intervention strategies needed for people who are experiencing difficulties with their mental health. Priyanka Verma is a mental health professional who specializes in clinical psychology, counseling, and psychotherapy. Her experience spans over 10 years where she's worked with a wide spectrum of the population. Along the way, Priyanka drew from concepts of self-awareness and self-acceptance that are now the foundations of a therapeutic framework. Her research has been on internet addiction and she now focuses on how we can use technology to better serve emotional and mental health needs of people. So great to have you on this conversation, Priyanka. Hello. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Priyanka, I thought we'd start with something very simple, right? Uh, how do people perceive stress? What do you see from your research and you know, some of the clients that you serve on how stress is understood by most of us? Okay, so I'm going to dive a bit into the term stress and just the basic use of it in the English language. Um, and I'm going to get a little nitty gritty about it, so bear with me. So to begin with, I want you and everybody to understand that stress is great for us. It is the reason why we show up, it's the reason why we perform, and sometimes it's the reason why we excel. So the way uh, we understand things with the chemicals that secrete in our body, it acts almost like an activation for us to do something when we are stressed. But when we experience too much of this, and it overshoots, and we maximize, and we are out of that optimal performance of flow, that's when it becomes distress. And that is what is bad for us. That is what's unhealthy for us. Um, so to break it down to you, it's distress that is really, really harmful to us, while stress is good. And the way most of us understand it is actually through the lens of distress. That is, it's bad, it's bad for your heart, it's bad for your skin, it's bad for your body. One of the 
the worst thing. It takes away clarity of thought. It takes away our health. It, it takes away the quality of life we can experience. So now to understand how we perceive stress, right? Uh, it comes from a different lens. Um, everybody perceives stress differently. It's not one standard thing that goes all throughout. It's what I may perceive as stressful. It could be very different from you. So mm-hmm. for example, doing this, this podcast recording, um, could be distressful for me because, hey, this is not something I'm, I'm used to doing, uh, but this could be something which is very easy and effortless for you because you do this very often. This is something you're used to doing. Uh, you, you bring people together. So this could be something extremely comfortable for you. So our perception of stress, the stress is unique to our own experience. Uh, and it got to do a lot with the fact of our fearing something, um, we have a fear of failure plays a huge role into um, our experience of distress because we're worried about the outcome of it. We're worried about the process of it, whether we'll be able to do it or not. Um, so it is unique to an individual um, and it's something about what they want out of it, the way they are taking um, their experience from it. Right. You know, a lot of research has come through over the last kind of five to eight years on what stress does to you, right? Uh, previously, stress was just like a mental issue, but we now understand that it affect, profoundly affects us physically as well. How do you see stress affecting our bodies and behavior? You started to touch on, you know, our lives and our quality of living. Help us explain that a bit more. So, um, stress, distress comes under the umbrella of anxiety, right? Because when I'm distressed about something, it's usually because I'm worried about the outcome of it. And that worry takes with the clarity of thought. So one, I'm going to start with the cognitive functioning. Your cognitive functioning is compromised. There will be difficulty in concentrating, focus, memory, um, and even ability to hold on of like a conversation and clarity of thought in a conversation with it. Physically, um, digestive issues, bowel movement concerns, you may urinate too much or uh, when you are distressed, you may even tend to um, vomit because you're so worried about what's going to happen next as well. Apart from that, it can lead to diabetes. It can lead to uh, difficulties with your heart. It could lead to, uh, like I mentioned, digestive concerns, so difficulty even in like digesting your food um, as well. Body ache, difficulty breathing. These are just some examples of how it can affect your body. And then emotionally, um, if these two parts of my life are not there, which is uh, difficulty focusing, difficulty upholding a conversation, or difficulty with my body, it's very hard for me to really connect with my emotions mm-hmm. and be there 100% in relationships with others. And as a result of which, it leads to further breakdown in our sense of awareness of ourselves, uh, awareness of what the other person needs from us or how we can be present for them too. Um, and the way we understand things at an emotional level also is compromising. So to answer your question, it probably can affect every, if not almost all aspects of our life, if not handled or not managed well. You know, as you say it, it's the classic, right? When uh, you're feeling something versus like a physical symptom, there seems to be some sort of disassociation when it comes to it. What I mean by that is our bodies are our bodies, right? If you have a tummy upset, People will say, hey, lie down, drink butter milk, go easy, like do all of that. But if you say you're feeling something, like you're feeling anxious, say while recording this podcast, typically the answer is get over it or, you know, find a way around it. Why is there this disassociation between the mind and the body? 
It's part of the same system that works together, but we treat it very differently. You know, um, well, we always really get over it or like suck it up. You can do this, pull your socks up. You've got this or don't worry, it happens to all of us. It's okay. It's probably because we don't want to um, sit down and deal with it. We don't want to understand where it's coming from, why it's happening, what is this context in that experience of it. So building up to one of your first questions is what does that perception of stress mean? Where does stress come from? It's our perception. It's our context to things. And sitting down and understanding somebody's context, why they are stressed about this, becomes uncomfortable for us because that means opening some doors, some boxes of things we've neatly tied up and pushed under the carpet. And we don't want to do that. Uh, but to understand why a person is stressed means uncovering all those things. It means sitting and decluttering the way we process things in life. And that's something everybody does not have the appetite to do. Mm. Um, it's our personal discomfort with it. It means discomfort of us holding our own emotions and holding emotions of somebody else's too. Um, and that's why we tend to avoid it. It also could be lack of education, lack of awareness, the importance of emotional mental health, um, and things which I think the media talks about a lot right now. But more importantly, I feel it's the discomfort of us having to sit down and deal with something about ourselves and our constant need to not engage in any of that and operate almost like emotionless beings. Well, I've, I've had first-hand experience of this. Uh, I was going through a very stressful situation once, a couple of years ago, and I started to operate like a machine, right? It kind of is, I, I told myself, it's just easier to not think about things and just do, and then we'll unwind it. This happened, uh, let's say this happened about six, seven years ago, right? I found that I am still unwinding things because I didn't deal with things when it happened. Yeah. And, it's, and it's taken up so much of time, energy over the last kind of five to seven years. I wish I had done it at the start rather than operating like my, my brain was a separate entity to my physical body. You know, I'm going to layer this with you, right? Um, in a truly stressful situation, our mind and body knows exactly what needs to be done. So for example, um, somebody I really loved like, uh, met with an accident. And I knew exactly what needed to be done. They needed to be rushed to the hospital. They needed medical care. They needed these doctors, these scans, these tests. These things need to be done. That was a truly stressful situation. And the mind knew exactly what needed to be done. Mm -hmm. And like you, at that point of time, I, I uh, sunk myself in work. Because then that acted as a coping mechanism. Because processing those emotions at that point of time was not possible for me. Because I needed to probably do more. Um, than sit down and process at that point in time because if I did, I would have collapsed. So, but it happened with the awareness that I have emotions that needed to be addressed and I need to peel it away one step at a time and not do everything together. So, so, it's, so what I'm going to say is like it's layered, right? So at that point, that distressful situation you had a couple of years ago needed you to focus on it, maybe. And then dealing with the emotions may require peeling back, but... The difference is you're addressing it. You're not pushing under the carpet and then avoiding talking about it. It comes up, I'm seeing it, I'm talking about it. That's a healthy way of dealing with stress. It coming up, me tying a bow on it and pushing it under the carpet again is unhealthy. 
because yeah at that point of time me just sitting down and processing and working with it could be just a coping mechanism right but me pushing it away even though it pops up later that's defensive and that's unhealthy defensive and that could be unhealthy ways of coping with stress so like i said it's it's so layered there's so many shades of gray with it and you have to look at context with it it can't just be cut and dry you know no absolutely i think uh, for me the telltale sign that i had pushed it under the carpet was i was sitting in a meeting and you know i put my hand in my hair this way i'm like oh my hair seems very smooth today that i realized it was my scalp and not my hair um and then i was working with a who used to be a medical doctor before and i was a consultant at that time and i said hey, can you take a look you know you never let go of a, of a free doctor right you're like i have an issue like consult for free and <laughs> he looked at me and he basically said Myra, you have alopecia. You have to stop stressing. Like this is not going to work. My first reaction to that, I'm going to stress more because my hair is going to fall off my head. Because I did a quick Google search to find out that uh, alopecia could lead to permanent baldness, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are some clear telltale signs. I I found my telltale signs so much later. It took me two years to unwind alopecia, for example. But clearly, there are some signs that you know one can recognize either within themselves. or with somebody that they are with you know and i think it's it's a great thing you touched upon right because um i'm going to go back to my personal example right at that point of time in that truly really stressful situation i was still eating properly and i was still sleeping and i was still exercising so i was still coping well mm-hmm. but the basics of mental health come down to these three things eat sleep exercise and the minute you notice these things are going off i'm sleeping too much too little eating too much too little exercising too much or not exercising at all right. these are signs that your emotional health is getting compromised and I mean start at that very moment speak to somebody address their journal do whatever you need at that moment to address that distress you're experiencing in your emotional health because when i'm coping with something stressful my eat sleep exercise will still be in healthy levels when i'm not coping with something well and i'm pushing on the carpet it's not like it's disappeared it's still there i'm just not addressing it but it will manifest in different forms eat sleep exercise you begin with that i think as you say it you know makes so much sense uh, i was eating except my scales were starting to tick over and that should have been my first telltale sign that i was just offering it at a mm-hmm. level that i thought was optimal rather than figuring out what was you know how to like cope with the situation It took me two years of unwinding, five years after with a therapist to really address mm-hmm. what I should have addressed, perhaps closer to time. Um, I I still think it's because people are either you don't pick up on your telltale signs that your body is telling you, hey, listen, there's something off here, or you're not listening to somebody or nobody's telling you. you know and and this also brings brings into something you asked me this is the disconnect we feel with our mind and body mm-hmm. if i'm connected with my mind my mind and body are connected i will be able to recognize the signs sooner i will be able to recognize okay this is not feeling right in my body and let me sit down and address it uh what happens is the disconnection that we experience we pushes us further away from us taking care of ourselves sooner um there were telltale signs in your body earlier on but you probably rush on the carpet for whatever reason it may be yeah. but the minute we are comfortable with that connection with the mind and body the sooner we are able to address what's causing us um, discomfort distress 
um, emotions that we don't want to conversation we don't want to have with people you know it becomes easier for recognizing it in the mind body connect um the body never lies that's what they say so whatever you're manifesting comes out in your body i'm sure this is a whole other conversation with since you touched on it I, i'd love to know more how does one not fix but how does one start to repair this connection it may be have it may have lost because of you know a, a certain situation maybe we've had to operate like we talked about before but now that you recognize it is is there a way to repair that you know um there are many ways you can go about doing it and i think that you got to pick which one you're most comfortable with and um you may do this first you may do something else later on if you create your own script for that but i'm going to make a few suggestions as exercises you can do right now one is meditation two is spend time only with yourself and listening to your thoughts mm-hmm. and three um my my team members make fun of me for this suggestion all the time uh but i mean actually like touch yourself like lotion yourself touch your body like you know understand yeah. your body a lot better with it i can i and that's a really good way to connect to your mind and body mm-hmm. uh, with it and these are exercises you can do regularly just to bridge that connection because what happens in these these three exercises you're sitting down and meeting yourself almost for a cup of tea saying hi priyanka nice to meet you today in this 30 minutes that you and i are spending together meditating or you know having a cup of tea whatever it is i'm getting to know myself mm-hmm. but until unless i'm not consciously doing this initially it's not going to happen um it has to become conscious awareness um and the word conscious means mindfully doing it being aware you're doing it and that's how you can bridge the connection between your mind and your body you know i i love what you said uh taking that 10 minutes to check in with yourself something that most of us rarely do um and we are like i'm always multitasking right sometimes i used to use my drive time to check in with myself but sometimes you don't like your thoughts you know you're like don't want to deal with it so i will start listening to music or start making some calls uh to basically invite distraction mm-hmm. rather than to deal with the situation yeah and i i mean sitting down with ourselves is not always comfortable it's very very comfortable let me rephrase that but the more i check in with myself the more comfortable i'm going to get with myself um the more i check in with myself the more i'm going to understand people around me as well right. so something we always do at the end of like at the end of therapy is that we check in with ourselves as therapists how are we feeling right now post the session Hmm. because that gives us insight to what emotions came up for us and also what emotions came up for the client. Right. Um and that will help us direct therapy better, will help us cater to what our client's needs better. So, you know, you checking in with yourself just just doesn't do wonders for you, but also does wonders for people around you because you're you're then uh, helping create and nurture healthier relationships. No, absolutely. Actually you you you've given me the perfect segue to something that I've been dying to ask you right when we're struggling with some of these kind of situations we tend to beat up ourselves uh, maybe we've fallen behind deadlines or done a less perfect job or kind of unhappy with our situation and the things we tell ourselves are nowhere close to what we would tell a dear friend in the same situation we are not kind to ourselves yeah um 
And, you know, I'm going to jump a bit away. So when I sit in therapy and I tell my clients, hey, you know, you're not kind to yourself. And they're like, yeah, but how will I encourage myself to do better next time? If I'm not critical, why, like, how will I do better next time? And I want to do better next time. So I need to be critical on myself. I need to put myself to that amount of mouth, that, that stress. I need to like put myself to that pressure to do better next time. And if I don't do that, I'm just going to remain what average. I like, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one is that I do think feedback is important. But how I give myself feedback is most important. And this is where I like dive into what is the difference between being critical and evaluating. Mm. When I'm being critical, I'm only looking at what I didn't do right. I'm not focusing on what I've done right as well. I need to evaluate myself better. That, hey, this is what I've done right. And this is where I can get better at. And that's the balance. At the same time, I cannot be toxic to myself and encourage toxic positivity by only focusing on what I've done right. Mm. Right? We need to have a balance where I acknowledge where I am, what I'm doing, the good and the not so good too. And if I'm able to do both, see the good, see what I need to improve on, that's healthy self-talk. Which is, hey, Priyanka, um, let's say that, okay, I'm going to evaluate myself, that you brought in a bit about a fair experience in the, in the conversation you have with my Mayura today, uh, but perhaps you could speak slower next time. You know, that's an evaluation. But if I sit here and say, hey, Priyanka, you spoke too fast, Nobody will understand you. You enunciated poorly. I'm not going to be encouraged to get on another call with somebody and have a conversation about this. And if I'm just being toxic to myself and only saying kind words, that, oh, Priyanka, you've got your experience as a therapist. That was great. That was fantastic. It's going to give good insight to people. I'm also creating a false sense because, hey, there is scope for improvement. Um, so I think we need to understand the self-talk Needs, and especially self-talk when we are giving ourselves feedback needs to be focused on evaluating rather than being critical, uh, number one. Number two, it also has to become by asking yourself, is this evidence-based? So what proof do I have that this is real, right? Um, and I'm using the example of me speaking too fast because I've got that feedback very often from people that I speak too fast. Um, so, you know, I'm okay. This is evidence by person A saying this to me. Um, what is the evidence of even that being good feedback that you brought in person experience? Do you think that's helpful? You know, look for evidence to back up that kind of self-talk you do. And three, I'm going to say, this may sound a little cliche, but I think it's very, very important that you start being grateful to yourself for showing up for yourself. The gratitude element uh, is most important. Only unless I'm not grateful for myself for showing up. Will I be encouraged to keep doing things for myself? I need to be to say, hey, thanks, you did this. I know it was uncomfortable, but you did it and thank you for it. Um, that gratitude goes a long way with the kind of self-talk we do. You know, what I've also found is uh, this kind of harsh self-talk where it lacks any self-compassion it starts to lead towards uh, like low self-esteem. You start to lack self-confidence and then you start to pretend, right? Then you put on a persona 
because you need to like show up in places, but the critical self talk doesn't show up as your authentic self. Yeah, and I'm also gonna say the critical self talk um doesn't allow you to to be yourself, which also means it allows you to take risk. It doesn't allow you to achieve what you are capable of. Now, uh, there's enough research that goes back in it that those who are given negative feedback were less likely to succeed at a task than those who are given positive feedback, mm-hmm. even though they started at the same level. Right. Um, and I think that's the most important part, right? I'm giving myself feedback with the intent to do better. Or else why would I give myself feedback, right? And if my intent is to do better, um, the feedback I'm giving is most important, which means the good and the not so good. And that's one of the ways you show up for yourself with with honesty, right? Um, And that will feed into my relationships with people because when I'm out there, I'm presenting confidence for me right now is about being authentic. Is that having the comfort to say, hey, you know, I don't know this. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, you know what? I feel this way about something or I think this way about something. Um, and what we noticed that in a lot of group conversations, in a lot of like boardroom meetings, especially with women right now, is that women often present themselves as being unsure, uncertain. And this could be, and this is a result of uh, systematic patriarchy. And we're not going to get into that, but you know, we very often women show up as being uncertain and unsure because they are told or they, they lack that confidence in the boardroom. But when we present ourselves as saying, I don't know this, but with certainty, or I think this way with certainty, that comes from the comfort within ourselves. And that comes across as confidence. And that takes us further in life. Wow. It's all interlinked, you know? Yeah. And we always think about it more as like, oh, just have self-confidence. But I love the way you say, you know, uh, what we tell ourselves is what starts to project in ourselves as well. Um, Actually, you touched on something something I was curious to find out, whether we, uh, does gender play a role? And of course, our conditioning, what you just referred to, plays a role in self-confidence. You know, um, it does play a role. And I think, what um, what women, women are likely to be harder on themselves about are different from men are. Um, before we got on on uh, recording this conversation, you and I spoke about the role for women as a mother mm-hmm. and the guilt they may carry as being a mother versus the guilt of a man may carry by being a father. So all of this comes from what society expects us to do, um, what the roles we are expected to live our lives with. Um, the woman's the one supposed to take out more days from work to be there for the child as opposed to a man. Um, the way even the maternity and paternity leave design in our country is so different. While, and because of the way these systems are created, the kind of self-talk we give, like women versus men, is very different. Women will be hard on themselves for not being emotionally present uh, for their family or their partners or for themselves, mm-hmm. while men are more likely to give themselves negative talk about, you know, not earning enough, not being macho enough, uh, not being good at sport, you know. So it, it does vary, but I am going to say the the difference is reducing 
because of the awareness that's coming about. It's still there. It's still very much there. But the extent to which it was, see, probably a decade ago, uh, is not as much. Um, this is really important, so I'm going to circle back to this. You, you briefly touched upon a framework for self-talk, right? Like, how do you uh, encourage yourself to do better while, you know, kind of toning out that toxicity that comes in the self-talk? Could, would you mind retouching on, on, on a framework that you follow for yourself, perhaps? So I, I honestly want to go back to evaluation that I, I will start by noting what I've done well in this. And what I've done well is something I can carry forward next and what I can do better, right? And that's when I'm doing a project-based self-talk. At the end of it, this is how I want to evaluate myself with it. But not the self-talk we do every day. And I just got to know about some day, uh, relationship in my life not going really well. I perceive that they're really upset with me. And I can sit here and I can say, hey, Priyanka, this is all your fault. Or I can sit here and say, hey, okay, I'm trying. What can I do now to get better? Which also comes from a place of being comfortable with yourself. Which then comes into... I am being honest with myself about my emotions. So one, it comes to checking in with yourself. So the framework would actually begin with one, checking in with your emotions. How am I feeling at this point of time? Two, is that what do I want to do for myself at this point of time? And three, going ahead and doing it. Okay. Um, before I bring this conversation to a close, I would love to ask you some rapid fire questions. Get to know Priyanka a little bit more. Um, a piece of advice that you cherish and a piece of advice that you should have trashed as soon as you got it. Um, the piece of advice I cherish was, I don't know. And I'll explain that to you. Is uh, Somebody senior in the field turned around told me that they did not know something and that really so much of pressure I placed on myself to show up and do it and know everything. Uh -huh. uh, the piece of advice I trashed long ago is that perfection is a reality. Um, because, hey, you know what? you got to roll with the punches. It's not going to be ideal. Uh, you got to make it work with what you have. And it's okay. It's going to be constantly evolving. Ah, I like that one. Your morning routine. I know you're a new mom, but how would your ideal morning routine be? My morning, ideal morning routine would be, um, and it used to be, sometimes in some days I do have this till now, is I wake up, I... Um, Either have a cup of tea and read the newspaper or I go down for a walk for like 15, 20 minutes and then come back up and have a cup of tea and coffee and read the paper. Yeah, that's the ideal morning routine. So Simple and Yeah. And in doing this, it just, just feels most comforting for me to see the sunrise or, yeah, I love it. That's beautiful. One thing that people get wrong about you. Hmm. One thing people get wrong about me is that uh, I I know it. I don't know shit. <laughs> I don't know shit. So when people turn around and come to me with advice, I'm like, mate, I don't know anything. <laughs> so yeah. You're clearly the confidant <laughs> in disguise. Yeah. Okay. What occupation has it? Occupation has it, of course. What are your stress busters? 
music, um, in particular Beyonce. I love it. Uh, uh, dancing to her or running to her. Uh, that is my stress buster. Two is I um I will head if usually stress is because of the problem in life. I will then take that problem head on, and yeah. nothing like yeah that just does something it for like me. In that moment. Into rest. Oh, you know I haven't heard that one before. That's fantastic. Um, actually, you teed me up really nicely. A song that is your anthem. Oh, so what's my anthem? Me. Yeah, I love I love all her songs. Um, but I think you know the one which I mean I'm very bad with names of songs, so bear with me. Even though I love her, but who I think it's called "Who Ruled the World" uh, by Beyonce. I think you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, that one is it's empowering for me. <laughs> Fun, yeah. One thing you wish more people knew about men that it's okay. Um, and by that I mean it's okay to feel all the feelings you have. It's okay not to show up all the time. It's okay to show up more often than you would like to. It's okay. It's okay to talk about it. Yeah, I want people to understand it's okay. That's a good one, Priyanka. This was truly delightful. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. I hope um, I answered your questions and I hope that your, your listeners and your viewers um, actually have some insight that they can take forward to their lives. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. For those of us listening and who are inspired to seek help and know more about The Thought Co, please find Priyanka and her team at www.thoughtco.com. That is T-H-E-T-H-O-U-G-H-T-C-O.I-N. We're launching a series on Instagram and Facebook with the thought book on how to be kind to your mind. Keep your eyes peeled for this. Until next time, stay awesome.